my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. So when you experience love, compassion, joy, equanimity, focus on a good diet, get a good night's sleep, and manage your stress and move, basically, you can change 99% of the genetic population and even the 1% that's human genomes, you can upregulate the genes. So literally speaking, you can change your body. I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. There are those times in your life that you learn something that you know you'll never, ever forget, and it comes to the most unlikely of places oftentimes. So I was at this conference at the Vatican where I expected to learn about things that were going to be life-changing, and inside the conference room, there was lots of that going on. But one of the evenings, there was a party hosted, and as I walked in, as I walked through the front entrance, Deepak Chopra was there, who was a member of the conference. And we had been, you know, agreeing we're going to talk later on when it was a little less crazy. And there was a gentleman next to him, like two gentlemen, uh, that seemed very, you know, ordinary, you know, interesting folks, but nothing that fancy. And Deepak said, you need to talk to these two people because they're going to tell you things that are going to completely explode your brain. And for that to be said by Deepak Chopra of all people, someone who I, I, I've learned to love, but I grew up listening to his PBS specials. I mean, God knows how much money I gave to the public television trying to get access to his tapes that he used to make. And I loved him because he could take my science-based mind and translate ideas that I needed to understand in a way that I was receptive to them. My left brain respected the right brain more after hearing Deepak. And for him to call these other two guys uh, and applaud them as, as he did meant a lot to me. So I began talking to them. And pretty soon it was evident to me that these were big thinkers. One of the words that was used was isness, like the word is and then this. And isness means you're, you have to be inspired and informed by isness. And I was curious, what is this isness? And so I'm going to uh, uh, today share interviews with Deepak Chopra, Bernardo Kastrup, who's a computer scientist, philosopher, one of the two men I met at that bar. You do interesting things in a bar. 
Italian bar, a little upscale. And Fred Matzer, who's a CEO, uh, been very successful, but at this point has become a CEO of consciousness. And what these three men shared with me in these, these discussions was a whole different way of thinking of consciousness. And then I'm going to bring a full circle back to talk to one of the foremost leaders in meditation and consciousness, Bob Roth, who I want to have in studio, sort of putting the icing on the cake, helping us understand uh, why this is also special. He, by the way, was the one who interviewed Katy Perry because he taught her meditation and wanted everyone to understand from her how it changed her life and could change all of ours. So let's get started with Deepak Chopra. Deepak, uh, it is remarkable that this Vatican conference is being able to attract all kinds of luminaries. And I even for you, you'll run into folks that you haven't seen for a while or you know, folks you've interacted with for a long time. How have you enjoyed that aspect of the conference? It's been amazing. I've seen lots of people that I haven't, as you said, uh, run into a long time. As we were coming for this podcast, we ran into Olivia Harrison. She's the widow of George Harrison from the Beatles. And it brought back amazing memories. George and I traveling all over India, our meditations together, etc. many adventures. And of course, the conference is unique. As you know, my interest right now is low-grade chronic inflammation, how it pertains to 95% of all illness. Since only 5% of uh, chronic illness right now, the disease-related gene mutations that are penetrant are only less than 5%. The rest are related to how we live our life. So the connection between genomics, epigenetics, microbiome, 99% of the genetic information in your body is not even human. You can't change your human genes, but you can change the population of your microbial genes. That's a revolution. Give us some concrete examples of how you do that. So if microbiome is the next big breakthrough and you have the opportunity to change your biome, how do you know which way to change it? Well, one way to change it is to focus on maximum diversity of plant-based foods. Uh, if you just do that, and you don't have to get rid of meat altogether, you know, just lower your intake of meat. Try not to get, uh, uh, you know, uh, meat that has been fed hormones and chemicals and antibiotics. Go for a week on a purely plant-based diet with diversity. If you're really compulsive about it, there are many people these days who are doing artificial intelligence techniques to look at the microbiome, which tells you what diet is most appropriate for you. But the fact is, if you can change 99% of the information, genetic information in your body, and the remaining, uh, you know, 1% that is human genomes, you can regulate them too, up and down. We did a study where we just published where a week of meditation actually upgraded the human genome um, 17-fold. So genes that were involved in self-regulation or uh, homeostasis went up, some of them 17-fold. Genes that were involved in um, inappropriate inflammation went down significantly. There's no drug that can do that. So when you experience love, compassion, joy, equanimity, focus on a good diet, get a good night's sleep, and manage your stress and move, basically, you can change 99% of the genetic population and even the 1% that's human genomes, you can upregulate the genes. So literally speaking, you can change your body. You know, Mehmet, I turned 71 and a half oh right goodness. now. 
Okay, and biologically, I don't feel a day older than 35. Uh, I have normal blood pressure. I have every, all my biological markers are 30 years less than what they should, should be. When you speak of this in the Vatican, where we're right now speaking, and church leaders, but there, there's folks from Latter-day Saints here, there's, uh, there's rabbis here, you know, you, you begin to appreciate that there's tremendous wisdom in a lot of these faith-based practices. How do they respond when they realize, my goodness, simple things like prayer can make a big difference? Well, they respond with great enthusiasm. But last time I was here, Pope Francis actually said, we need to focus on tenderness. And it was some, it was a phrase I hadn't heard for a long time. So I realized that, you know, the world is right now inflamed. The opposite of inflammation is love and tenderness. And if we could make this the mantra, because when I say inflamed, it's not just our bodies are inflamed, our minds are inflamed, our microbiome is inflamed, our brain is inflamed. But everything that we do out there from war, terrorism, climate change, extinction of species, poison in our food chain, it's inflammation. So let's cool it. All right, we'll send you out on the stage to do battle, advances to form mankind. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you back. Thank you. So Deepak Chopra has a, has a remarkable ability to capture your mind, in part because he's, he's poetic in how he explains the world around you. Bernardo Castro, who he introduced me to that evening and who I had the opportunity to sit down and speak with, and that's the, the little clip you're going to hear in a second, is a computer scientist. So not someone I would normally think of as an expert, as a philosopher, but he's been writing a series of pieces for The Atlantic that have generally garnered a lot of attention, created debate. Because as we speak about health, we have to understand the most miraculous part of our existence, which is consciousness. You have no idea what that is, do we, Lisa? I certainly don't. Maybe you do. <laughs> I'm getting closer. Now, not to understand what it is, but to understand what it means to have it. And just to read this off his website, there's his exploratory journeys through the thoughtscapes of philosophy of mind, ontology, which is meaning neuroscience of consciousness, because again, he's speaking as a scientist, as well as psychology and the foundation of physics uh, influences us all. So uh, just take a listen. This is going to catch you completely off guard. These minutes may be as important to you as they have been to me. Bernard, I was minding my own business last night and a good friend, Deepak Chopra, came up to me and said, you really need to go talk to this guy, Bernard. And I went over and you were with a mutual friend, Fred, now a mutual friend. And I observed you talking about consciousness in a way that caught my attention because it came from a, a very left-brained scientific mind which helped me understand it better and maybe give me more confidence than what you're saying wasn't airy-fairy. But it turns out that you've written a bunch of blogs. I've read a, a few from, a, from Scientific American, some of which have stimulated a fair amount of critique as you delve into the issue, perhaps the biggest mystery of all, which is consciousness. So I'd love to have you explain to everybody what the big fuss is all about. The big fuss is that when we try to explain something uh, according to our you know, culture, uh, we try to reduce it to something else. We try to explain one thing in terms of another. And we assume that we can explain consciousness in terms of something else. The problem is that you always have to end somewhere. You can't explain one thing in terms of another forever. So there is something that is a primitive. It's a fundamental in nature. And there is this general implicit assumption in our culture that uh, consciousness is not a fundamental. And then we can't explain it because nothing else seems amenable uh, to reduce it. You can't explain it in terms of something else. My position is that consciousness itself is the fundamental. You can explain everything else in terms of it, but you don't explain it in terms of anything else. Perhaps the biggest mystery in the Bible for people of faith is consciousness. We never quite 
understand what it is, except that it connects us to God. Maybe God created it. I'm sure theologians could articulate in different ways how religion is cope with consciousness. But it, it also befuddles medicine because we can understand much of how the brain works, but we don't really appreciate consciousness. So as a, as a, your specialty is, again, computer science? Right? That's, my, that's my education, yeah. Your education, but you become a philosopher. I'd like to tap into that a little bit. For the left brain folks listening right now, what is consciousness and what evades us? What, what could it t- do for us if we, could cap, if we could really tap into it? What is difficult is to deduce the qualities of our experience, how it feels to have a bellyache, how it feels to taste uh, uh, an apple, uh, to reduce that to the properties of matter, like mass, charge, momentum, geometrical relationships, and so on. That turns out to be, I would claim, impossible at a fundamental level. That's why it befuddles us, because we keep on trying to explain it. I would say, don't try to explain consciousness. Explain everything else in terms of consciousness. And then we are faced with some observations that people would say, well, given these observations, consciousness cannot be a fundamental. Like uh, uh, if I knock you in the head, something will happen to your consciousness, right? And my action is a very material, physical action. Or if I drink alcohol, something will happen to my consciousness. And uh, we all seem to be sharing the same world. If it was only consciousness, why can't I just change it at will by an act of will? Or or why would I share the same world with you? Uh, All of these things can be tackled one by one. Uh, according to a philosophy uh, that has consciousness as the sole fundamental. It's just that people don't have the patience to go through the steps of reasoning uh, to explain all this. They want to just, you know, immediately go to a sort of an aphorism that would explain it all. That's impossible to do. You have to have the patience to walk through uh, the rationale. The entire culture is leading us in another direction, a direction that has no end uh, in sight. Uh, It's a catch-22 at the end. We just have to be a little patient to explore alternatives. And they are very reasonable and they're even very grounded in empirical uh, data, empirical evidence. Take us down those paths because it doesn't seem that accessible to me. I've struggled my whole adult life with the idea of consciousness and the, the irritating reality that I can't get my mind around it, which maybe is the wrong goal for me. <laughs> All there is, as far as you or me or anyone else is concerned, uh, is consciousness. Everything that we have in our lives are qualities of experience. Whatever we never experienced, uh, directly or indirectly, might as well have never uh, have existed, never exist uh, uh, for us. Uh, yet we create this abstract construct that there is something outside consciousness, which in turn generates the qualities of experience depend, depending on how it's arranged. Like if you arrange atoms in a way that we call a brain, magically out pops consciousness. That's the difficulty. If we stay with what experience gives us, which is experience is fundamental. Any five-year-old kid knows that. Everything else is an abstraction. Everything else uh, is an implicit theory, so to say. Uh, uh, If we stay with what experience gives us, then I think it becomes quite clear that what the brain is, is the extrinsic appearance, the image of certain conscious processes that we happen to call the inner life of a human being. Those conscious processes are dissociative in nature. I can't access your thoughts. You can't access mine. I am dissociated from you. I am dissociated from the rest of the universe. Uh, but they are mental in nature, just as their image. Your brain only exists insofar as it can be experienced, as qualities of experience. Even the output of an fMRI uh, uh, scan only exists insofar as somebody looks at it, as insofar as somebody experiences it. So I think what we're dealing with are just two classes of experience. First-person experience, what it feels like to be inside 
the boundaries of a dissociative process, and second-person experiences, what the uh, mental processes in the dissociative process look like from across the dissociative boundary. So I'm just trying to translate this. So I, I know what I know and you don't, but then I intuit what you might know and make that part of my life as well. No, uh, it, You don't know what I know, but what I know is accessible to you in the form of an image. That image is my brain activity. That image is a content of consciousness. What I know is also a content of consciousness. So there are two types of contents of consciousness. The ones I know directly and the ones I experience indirectly through the way they look like from a second-person perspective. But it's all consciousness. We have a lot more to talk about, but first, let's take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. So when people battle you, in your editorials, on social media, what are the most singing arguments they're making? What side are they articulating? It depends. I I use some arguments based on quantum mechanics, uh, which are very charged culturally because, well, we have to admit it, there has been a lot of abuse of quantum mechanics. People abuse it left and right, uh, uh, have been doing so for many years. How so? People who do not necessarily understand quantum mechanics uh, promote certain implications of quantum mechanics that are not necessarily accurate. This happens. Uh, But then when you do uh, rigorously and and carefully explore what the implications actually might be, and you start flirting with similar conclusions, articulating in a different way, not as wide-ranging, but similar conclusions, um, it gets too close in the cultural dialogue uh, to the abuse and then you, they think you, you should be, you're abusing too. It's very difficult to discern sometimes for some people uh, when you're doing it correctly and when you're just fooling around with it. So I get attacked a lot and, uh, when, I, when I do talk about quantum mechanics. But I don't need to talk about quantum mechanics. Um, I, I do that because it gives some empirical basis for what I'm, for what I'm saying. There are other empirical bases, though. There, there's neuroscience, provides some basis for what I'm saying. And pure... Logical argumentation. I think the idea that consciousness is the fundamental entity of all reality is much more parsimonious, much more economical 
then this abstraction we call matter outside and independent of consciousness. We don't need this theoretical entity that cannot be proven or disproven uh, uh, to explain the world. We can do that much more parsimoniously. I think that alone would already win the game, but there are several lines of empirical evidence as well. So to reduce it to practice, there are two big themes for me. One, what created consciousness? Uh, there, there will always, whatever theory of nature you adopt, there will always be one entity in nature for which you cannot answer this question, right? Yes. Because then there is the creator. If you answer that question, then there is the creator, which precedes that which is created. I would say nothing created consciousness, because everything arises within consciousness uh, as, a pattern, as patterns of excitation of consciousness. Um, this would be entirely equivalent to people uh, who adopt uh, the idea that uh, um, the quantum field is the fundamental entity of nature, or, or super strings, or, you know, there's always a fundamental that has not been created. Uh, I would say consciousness has never been created. Creation is a process that happens within consciousness. So then it begs the issue of the different faiths, all of which have their ways of, well, most of which created God as a figure that probably represents consciousness, if I'm understanding correctly. How do you weigh those? Because the individual faith systems do believe they have insight into what consciousness is about through their God, or in the cases of you know, some of the Eastern religions, it's a bit more ambiguous, but to those people, it's not. You know, um, we have no reason to believe that we can apprehend all the relevant aspects of nature with our intellectual capacities, right? We are highly evolved monkeys uh, that evolved on a planet, on, you know, on the periphery of a, of a typical galaxy. Um, I think the role of religion is to give us um, validation to access a part of our psyches uh, that may transcend the intellect, that may transcend our ability to organize our thoughts linearly. Um, and, and the idea of God may be a symbol for an intuition that trans transcends intellectual apprehension, that there is something of a consciousness nature, consciousness-like nature, uh, that underlies and precedes the reality that we know uh, in this life. And, and which has no beginning and no end. So you either believe all religions or no religions? <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if we need to believe religious, religions uh, literally, then I would say I don't believe any of them. Um, I think uh, literalizing religion is a disservice to religion. It flattens it. Uh, it makes it small, a shadow of what it can be. Um, but if you say... Uh, religions are symbolic narratives uh, that are pointing at the moon, but you should look at where it's pointing to and not at the finger that's pointing, um, then I would say I, am, I, I adopt all religions because I think they're all pointing more or less in the right direction if you just have the eyes to see it. Incredibly powerful, Bernard. Thank you very much. And con Thanks. continue good luck with your, <laughs> with your academic battles. Thank you. That's Bernardo Castro. Now, when I met him, and you can see how what a showstopper his ideas are. He was actually talking to a gentleman named Fred Matzer, who's a CEO. You think, okay, he runs a company. What's the big deal? He's, became, he's become a leading humanitarian as well as a businessman. He's a founder and co-founder of a wide range of charitable foundations. I think there are 19 overall that span the fields of healthcare and environment, conservation, peace, you know, all kinds of things that you're sort of celebrating for. And I wanted to understand, how does a CEO go there? Because that's not usually what you're worried about. You're usually focused on 
the price of your stock. And it turns out he's become an expert in consciousness, in part working with Bernardo. So, so take a listen. Fred, thank you for being here. We enjoyed a spectacular event last night and shared some insights. Mostly I listened to you spoke. And use this phrase, isness. And I'd love if you could explain that to the audience. Yeah, well, I think a state of isness is when you really are not thinking. Uh, you're just sheer in your being and where you allow yourself to be thought. And I often use the comparison with Mozart, who didn't think about his music. He just was sitting or dreaming, and, and then the music became, in a way, clear to him. And he was able to listen to it, and he was blessed enough to live in a time where they were able to write down what he heard so that he could share it with, with, with the audience. Be more specific if you can, because as you told the tale of creative people, take Mozart as an example, he had the ability to free his consciousness, to sense some creativity, something that was out there that most of us maybe could access to, but we can't free ourselves to see it. And then he had the wherewithal to bring it back so they could write it on sheets that could then be held for the rest of known history. How, How do some people capture that? Yeah, well, so it's, it is that you are in a state of being where you allow yourself to be thought, where the information comes in. Um, and then with your thinking capacity, you execute what you heard. That is divine inspiration. So when you're all the time thinking and God wants to talk with you, the line is occupied. He has toot, 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 toot. So both is okay. So it's on the inspiration, you get inspired and on the... Uh, how, in the inhalation and on the expiration, you think and you act. You're a corporate CEO, not the used typical. Give us history. What happened 35 years ago? And I know you mentioned nutmeg somewhere in there. Oh, which okay. no, this is a long time ago. <laughs> I had to go into business of my dad who had uh, Parkinson's disease and could not speak. So he had stiff form. So I was there in the beginning as, as his translator and in mid-20s, I succeeded him, and a few years after, he died. Then I wondered myself if I needed to continue to be in that business while many people were suffering. So I had the chance to work for Red Cross and got a high uh, job to be involved in the fight against diarrhea death. Five million children in the mid-80s died related. Diarrhea. Yeah, related to the dehydration that goes with diarrhea. So during that period, I met a friend... And he knew that in our family also we had uh, diabetes and said, I have an American healer here. And he does, does great work. He is a friend of John Salk. And John Salk was the inventor of, you know, of the polio vaccine. And the other also had invented that the condensed nutmeg had a specific effect on the brain. So it was that he gave me a lot of water to drink ate a lot of vegetables, and then a minuscule portion of nutmeg he gave to me. And when that, in a way, kicked in, I, in a way, came in an other reality. Like, it was a feeling of sheer love and an enormous clarity. And in the meantime, when I looked at the watch, when it started, it was, say, three hours, 15 minutes, and 12 seconds. When I went what we call sometimes the other side, which I would call the infinite. It took zillions of years. 
And in the meantime, it, was, it felt very realistic. At a certain moment, after those zillions of years of a wonderful experience of clarity and a, and, and a kind of feeling of bliss, I thought, who am I? And then I looked at my watch and we were 12 seconds later. But when I said, in the experience, there is no me, there is no I, it's just you, in a way, you implode with the whole and all. And there's no matter, I do not know what it is, but it is just a feeling. So when I came out, I came to understand that I'm here to learn about unconditional love because that's what I would say was the experience. And I'm here to develop my consciousness to understand and experience unconditional love and live accordingly. Now, don't ask me if I'm doing it, because in life I go 10 steps forward and 9 steps back. So I go flat on my face many, many times. But you're headed in the right direction. And sometimes if you're headed in the wrong direction, it's going backwards is the right way. Yeah, sometimes it's 10 forward, 11 back. (laughs) Well, to to finish, as you emailed me last night, miles of smiles and sprinkles of twinkles. That was inspired and very informed. Thank you very much, Fred. So when I emailed Fred Batzer to, to... to share that little bit with you. Uh, he responded, let's be inspired and informed by isness. Those are his actual words. I thought that's pretty cool. And then he signed off miles of smiles and sprinkles of twinkles. And then kind of <laughs> uplifting. Isn't that interesting, Lisa? It's like three in the morning. I read that, by the way. Sounds like the like the good fairy or something <laughs> who's coming in to you but, know, bless you. Or, I but don't know. I tell you, when you have a doctor, Deepak Chopra, and you have a hard-nosed businessman, Fred Matzer, and you have a computer scientist, Bernardo Kastrup, and they're coming together because they're arguing the biggest unsolved questions of our time are what are the elements of the universe and what is the essence of consciousness? Something that if, you, if you're reading any spiritual book is the biggest mystery of all. It's in the Bible, right? If you, what's, what's the coolest factor? There's a consciousness there. And our ancestors had a consciousness that came up with oral tradition ideas, concepts of heroes. Somehow this, we've, we've created something as human beings that is spectacular. We, you and I have been you know, thinking a lot about Jordan Peterson and his thoughts. I mean, this is your expertise area, so. Uh, hardly an area of expertise, but definitely a, an area of, of uh, deep inquiry. It's what excites me most. So these guys are right in my wheelhouse. What surprised you the most as as we have embarked on this journey understanding consciousness? The, the, as some, you know, you've spent your whole life studying theology and grew up in a in a strong faith-based tradition. I, I never thought of consciousness as much as the religion itself but consciousness seems to be this, this superset. It overlaps in all the different levels of religion. One of the things that uh, came up when I was talking to Bernardo was that we're all looking at the people pointing to the moon. If the moon is the goal, each religion points to the moon. Spiritual leaders point to the moon. And we look at the person pointing instead of looking at the moon, which is what the whole point of the point was in the first place. <laughs> And that was actually what I was going to say when you were asking me oh, a question. Come on. And then you answered it for yourself. So you see how hard it is to be a, with your wife? Imagine how difficult it is on a radio show if you're working together. Okay, what, else, what else do you want to say then? Nothing. You will speak. But it drives all perception, right? Yes, I agree. I totally agree. And it's shared by all. We all have it. We all you know, have a consciousness that overlaps everybody else's. And agnostic or not. And that's actually the other thing that sort of caught my attention. I was trying to find that, are they religious or not? If they're focused on 
consciousness. And Bernardo said, well, I'm either agnostic or I believe in all religions, which is when he gave me the line that I just stole from you. <laughs> but you heard him in there. How you know he said it? Because you told me four times. You see, when I, when I like something, it comes up over and over again. <laughs> and the, actually, you know, I, one of the nice things about being with you is we often have a lot of God's language, which all the folks I spoke to said is silence. That point... It's also death on the radio or in a podcast for that matter. All right, let me bring in Bob Roth is one of the nation's foremost teachers of meditation, has tremendous insights into mindfulness, which is where meditation will hopefully take you. And this is not some religious cultish thing. Bob's not, uh, uh, in fact, what's most special about him is he's so normal looking. You could never imagine he could do all this, but he taught me and you, and I want to bring him in. So you were at the conference also. I knew you were coming today, so I didn't torch you in Rome and so you can enjoy the Vatican <laughs> a bit. But since I've got you in my clutches now, TM is something that you've taught to a lot of luminaries, many of whom I've spoken to subsequently and say it changed a life. I'm in that group as well. I'd love if you could explain to the audience how TM and other t- f- efforts to, to quiet the mind uh, uh, work together and also how it gets you into that, uh, that space of mindfulness. Well, it's an analogy you've heard me use, which is of the ocean. We have waves on the surface of the ocean and silence at the depth. And we use that as an analogy for the mind, the surface of our mind. They call it the monkey mind. It's like the waves or the gotta, gotta, gotta mind. And the purpose of meditation throughout the ages was to bring some calm to the mind. And so there are basically different types of meditations. There's one that's called focused attention, which trains the mind. If you use the analogy of the surface of the mind, it's like that choppy and the depth of the mind is silent by its nature. So there are different approaches. One is how to clear the mind of thoughts, how to calm the monkey mind. That's focused attention. The other is called open monitoring. It's sort of an observational tool. That's a lot of mindfulness techniques of how to watch the waves rise and fall, watch your thoughts dispassionately, not get upset by the content. And the third is self-transcending or transcendental meditation, which is a mindfulness technique, you could say, which gives access to that source of thought. I'm a big advocate that people, that we shouldn't silo, that we should train ourselves and our children different tools that do different things. There's different outcomes, different brainwave signatures, different effects on the physiology. And so I like to see this one integrated whole. The brain is three pounds, 2% of the body weight. So much of what we do in life is exercising from the neck down. So meditation techniques, legitimate meditation techniques, address the exercise, you could say, from the neck up. There's last more to come after the break. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans... Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. You were responsible for getting Katy Perry and Orlando Bloom, both of whom meditate, and they were actually singing your praises. Uh, behind your back, by the way, I should say. <laughs> and what octave? That's right, what octave? <laughs> and, it was off-key. Um, Not Katie. Yeah. Well, Katie said something very interesting. She said, she often gets asked, why don't you take a nap or just sleep a little bit extra? And she said, well, that's like brushing your teeth. And 
meditation TM in particular for her is like flossing. Then she winked at Bobby and said, it's, it's uh, you know, people have interesting breath sometimes. Yeah. They don't floss enough. So you, were, you, you conducted the panel admirably, by the way, uh, kept it centered into how a highly functional person who had big time problems just quieting themselves, which is true for a lot of us. You don't have to be highly functional, not highly functional, but, you know, oftentimes people who are really peripatetic or all over the place can create beautiful things, but they also, it's like a Maserati. When the, when the spark plug's not working, everybody can hear it. So I'd love to hear your impressions of that interview and what your takeaway was from hearing from her and other luminaries who had joined you. Well, I taught Katie to meditate about seven years ago in India when she was getting married to Russell Brand, which was a story in itself. And she was... Stay tuned for that. He's a big meditator, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. It's helped him overcome um, heroin uh, addiction, saved his life. So Katie at the time was, you know, an outward-directed pop star. She was just on... She was 26. She was just on her way up, and she was just all over the the place. No center, no, no basis. And so her way of downloading was to get drunk or to drink or party. And it was killing her, exhausting her. And, uh really jeopardizing her career. And she came into learning TM very skeptically. She comes from a very religious background, and I emphasize it's not a religion. And so she learned it. And right from the beginning, there was a, she just, in that analogy, she just dipped right in. She just, like, settled right in. And she's found it to be more than anything else, like a reference point, instead of being outward-directed, self-referral. So she has a reality of of an inner rather than just outer Oh, I'm known because I sold a gazillion albums, but last year I sold a gazillion too, and so now I'm not happy with myself because not that's a horrible way to live. So this just gives her that inner perspective. How, how did her family react to the meditation, being a religious? Because there are a lot of people out there who think that there's some conflict between TM and a particular faith. This how was mild yeah. compared to the other stuff that <laughs> Katie was doing. Oh, her okay. parents were happy. She thought, okay, TM would be would be good. Actually, I had a talk with um, her mother when we were in the Vatican and offered to teach her to meditate. I teach, I teach a lot of fundamentalist Christians, Orthodox Jews, Muslim clerics to meditate, and I just go to the research. I said, you know, a lot of the branding on this on the internet was from 40 years ago when there was no research. And so, oh, it's a religion or it's a this. There's so much data. And that helps, you know, resolve the problem. And we're in public schools now all over the country, and they've looked at every, you know, they've investigated it. So it's not in conflict with any religion? No, it's not in conflict with any religion. In fact, it supports every religion. Because you're you're calmer, you're more yourself, and you're more creative. What did Katie's mother say? This last time, she said, let's talk. Oh. Yeah, let's talk. Very and then good. she started telling me about Jesus. But that's fine <laughs> because that's fine because she can have her faith. As I said that time, you know, your faith is completely different than than meditation. It's just this is, as we talked about and you, Mehmet and Lisa, on your shows, beautifully done. You know, there's you got to eat right. You got to, you know, you got to exercise. You got to take care of your mind. You got to do good in the world. You got to love people. But you can't ignore the the head. So forget the if you don't like the word meditation, just call it technique X. How about the Bob Roth technique? No, I, no, 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 too no. humble. He starts. He's just, oh like that. he's just too humble. Just be crazy. That's why everyone loves him. Bob, thank <laughs> you very much. Not, I'm realistic. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.